Welcome to the Nature Reliance Podcast, where we explore the history and practical experience of the great outdoors and discover new ways to connect with nature. I'm Craig Cottle, your guide through the fascinating world of natural living and survival skills through experiential education and interviews. Today's episode is brought to you by the Nature Reliance School Online Membership, an immersive online learning experience designed for outdoor enthusiasts just like you. Are you passionate about the outdoors? Do you crave more knowledge about disaster readiness, wilderness survival, bushcraft, tracking, and nature awareness? If so, the Nature Reliance School online membership is your gateway to a community of like-minded individuals, all dedicated to learning and sharing essential outdoor skills. With the Nature Reliance School online membership, you get exclusive access to a wealth of resources, including expert-led tutorials, interactive webinars, and a library of engaging courses, downloadable books, and documents. Whether you're a beginner or an experienced outdoorsman, there's always something new to learn. So don't wait. Click on the link below to join the Nature Reliance School online membership today. Embrace the wilderness, enhance your skills, and become part of a community that values nature as much as you do. Now, let's dive into today's episode. and welcome to another Nature Reliance Media Podcast. If you haven't joined us on the last two, then I do suggest you get in because this is part three of three, where I, your co-host Craig Cottle, and I, your co-host Tracy Trimble, are talking about some of the common mistakes that come up with outdoor excursions. We've been sharing first in part one, what we went over was before you hit the trail, some of the common mistakes that we've seen or heard about and learn from. In part two, we talked about on the trail. And number three, we're going to be talking about what happens at camp, some of the common mistakes that we see, which we have seen a lot of these. All of it is going to be really good to help you spend more time outside. And we want to get into that now. Are you ready to get into it? Let's get yep. into it. Yeah, let's clear something up right quick though, Craig. Yeah. These are mistakes that other people has made. We have never made these mistakes, right? That's true. It- <laughs> uh, if, if you're first, if you're if you're just now listening. We know <laughs> a lot of these are our, um, are yeah, our mistakes for sure. Sure. Very much so. So let's knock on the first one I uh, had listed on here, poor tent or hammock setup slash location. All right. So I, I just did a, uh, a blog piece on look up, look down, look left and look right. That's one of the things that we, we talk about in survival class, which is not survival as much as it is just pure outdoor safety. Anytime that you go into an area, it's good to look up for those Widowmakers that everybody's familiar with. I think most people understand that. Widowmakers are one of those things that can be branches. They can be whole trees. It's one of those things that I think it's valuable. And Tracy and I have a, uh, Tracy and I have a YouTube video on winter tree identification. You know, a big one that comes out is understanding that trees that are alive will have buds on them even in the wintertime. So look at the trees that you're hanging your hammock on, you're setting your tent up next to or near, and recognize whether they have buds on them or not so you know which trees are alive or dead in the wintertime. Yeah, good point. And I may add, walk around the trees that you're going to use for an anchor because if you walk up to a tree, it may look perfectly healthy on one side and be... Uh, hollow on the other side. 
So walk around and take a look at everything. The here's one that um, that has hit me before. Now my progression as far as camp, whenever I was young growing up, it was pretty much just laying down on the ground. Then I went into these little one man and two man tents, and then well actually into like lean tos and then to the tents and then into hammocks. I'm into hammocks now. But one thing with the tent is you lay down a ground tarp to keep the moisture from coming into your tent and you allow that tarp to extend beyond the footprint of your tent, which has a tendency to collect the moisture and bring it right into your underneath of your tent. And it will bring moisture into you and your sleeping bag and stuff will end up wet in the morning. That is a big issue. Seems like we always have maybe one person that's in our beginning wilderness safety and survival class that will do that. We have to kind of go around and make sure they don't uh, allow that ground tarp to extend out. I actually had that at the last class, the last safety class. And again, I think, I don't think you were there for that one, but it was one of those issues where a person came to class and she had set her tent. Uh, it was a bivy tent. She had set it up like that. And I went around to do our check like we do all the time and told her, you need to tuck that in. And she absolutely positively refused to do it and just would not take my advice. I did everything I could to communicate effectively to her the value of that, that it would guide water into her setup. She refused because she wanted to have something when she got out of the tent, which I think is the reason a lot of people do this. When they get out of the tent, they want to be able to stand on a tarp and not put their feet out on wet grass or in the dirt or whatever. Sure. I understand that fully. I do too. I always carry a little pad to do exactly that. And it rained and it rained and it rained that first night and everything she had got soaking wet. And it was one of those, and, 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 you know, I'm not a, I told you so kind of guy, but she came to me actually, she said, I'm so sorry, Craig, you told me what to do. And I didn't, didn't listen. And now everything I got wet and I always take extra gear. (laughs) You know, I had an extra sleeping bag and an extra pad for, for just such an occasion. So we were able to take care of her so she could be comfortable, but it's one of those things. It's really valuable. It's really valuable. That little simple thing that Tracy shared is is really important. And you have to watch about once you get in the tent, moving around and rolling around. You know, if you have your uh, ground tarp folded as you move around, it may become unfolded and slide out along the edge as well. So I've done it. I've, probably everybody has done it. And mm-hmm. um, hey, man, I woke up one night when I was when I first started backpacking. Uh, the fellow that I used to backpack with all the time, we woke up with a literally what was a little bitty stream flowing between he and I, our sleeping bags inside the tent. Oh my. <laughs> I mean, we were, i tell you where we were set up too, because you know exactly where this is. You know where, when you go up behind the gun range up at Salt Lick, mm-hmm. you keep going up there and there's an arch up there. I don't know the name of it. Yes. Yeah. We had camped right in a, a low spot down there. It was the only place that we could find that we could set up a tent. Everything else had Greenbrier everywhere. And it it was stupid. It was just stu- I mean, it was one of those things. That we did everything wrong. Everything wrong. We set up in a little uh, low spot. It was going to rain that night. We hadn't paid attention to that and literally woke up, man. I, I woke up with hearing water running. And the water that was running was running through our tent. <laughs> was, it was it summertime? Crazy. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah well, no, it would have been springtime because that's when we were hiking. That's when we were, we we always did our big hiking trips in the mm. in the spring. Uh, lesson learned. Yeah, man. 
now we can talk about it and you don't have to do it if you're listening. <laughs> exactly. Hey, here's one for um, hammocks. So most every time that I set a hammock up, I take my rain fly with me. I've had times where, one in particular I'm thinking of, where I had the rain fly not perfectly situated. And whenever it rained that night, the rain came in on me. The The wind kind of blew it in. I didn't have it. I didn't cheat it into the weather, meaning I didn't have the tarp, the, the rain fly slid into the direction of the rain that was coming in, the weather was coming in. And that wind would push that rain up underneath that rain fly and, and uh, came in on me. Dude, we taught a class um, up at Natural Bridge. Everybody that was in class was in hammocks except two guys. And everybody that was in a hammock came back. We had done one section where we went out. And I had I had actually pulled my tarp straight down on it because I knew weather was coming in. I mean, when I say this, this is not when I was young and stupid. This is when I had been out a lot and knew exactly what I should be doing. And weather was, it was the craziest thing, man. Weather was like, it was, the, the rain was going sideways, literally. It was one of those kind of things. But the rain was hitting sideways into my my hammock and bouncing up into my tarp, which would then bounce down into my hammock. Now that's I mean, some serious it, rain, dude. It was the craziest storm that I, well, besides that one down in Memphis where the, you know, the big helicopter almost got knocked oh, out of yes. the sky. Yes. But it's probably the worst weather. I don't know, man. I'm sitting here thinking about that time. We almost got struck by lightning out the Girl Scout camp too. It was bad weather. I'll put it that yeah. way. It was bad. A lot of rain. Hmm. Whenever I got to talking about the rain fly, here's an incident that you'll remember. I'll try to mention it without laughing or saying something that I shouldn't say. <laughs> you remember the class that we took on uh, tanning deer hide? Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It was so oh, hot. Gosh, man. I mean, beyond hot. It was miserably hot at night. And it came a rain that night. I reached out of my Hennessy hammock and grabbed my rain fly and pulled it in so that the rain would actually fall right on me. Yeah. It was that, yeah. it was that miserable. That put me to sleep. Yeah. That, and it was last cool night. Off, it was last night. So I don't even think I had my um, sleeping bag out that night. I think I just had um, a little pad underneath of me and maybe, uh, maybe a little jungle blanket. I think is what I had with me. So I didn't care if it all got wet. I was so hot. I've said this to people before. I don't know it. it people that spend a lot of time sleeping out, it, it this may be seem like a foreign concept, but I have to go somewhere in my head while I'm asleep that says, "Yes, I know I'm being rained on, and I know I'm getting wet, but I'm okay with it." For situations exactly like what Tracy just described, there's been a number of times where it's been so miserable that I welcomed the rain on me, big time. Yeah. But you just gotta, you just gotta be okay with it, so you can get some rest too. Yeah. And whenever I pulled that rain fly in and got the rain in on me, I I went on to sleep. But <laughs> boy, I remember that trip. It was that God, was an in, interesting weekend for sure. <laughs> we could do a, we could do yeah. a podcast on that. I don't think we could do it professionally. <laughs> no, no, I don't but think we can. that's a campfire story right there for sure. Yeah, and there's other issues with uh, setting up camp like setting your tent up where you can get that morning sun coming in and uh, wind exposure, weather exposure. Now we go into a lot of these in episode eight, how to sleep better in the cold. 
So mm-hmm. I don't know. We'll, we'll, won't we just leave the greater detail to that podcast and, and we'll move on? Yeah. Okay. yeah and we've, it's cool when we start having a body of work that we can reference, isn't it? It is, yeah. I mean, it I like is. this. So, yeah. There, if you're if you're just now finding us, you all, a couple things to keep in mind. We've got several po- – we're just getting started, but we do have several really good podcasts out. So go back and look back into what we've already done. And uh, also, please subscribe to the channel. Uh, that's Or the subscribe to the podcast. That helps us out in ways that it's really hard for me to even be able to understand and describe to you. But But basically, the gist of it is it helps us be successful – to be able to continue to do these when we have a lot of downloads. And when you subscribe, it automatically downloads. You don't have to listen to every single one of them, although we'd love for you to. But just by subscribing or following the podcast is very advantageous for Tracy and I. So thank you for that. Yes, we thank you greatly. Here's one, Craig, that I think that a lot of us learned. We had a um, survival class, survival just for the search and rescue, which basically covers the first 24 hours. A lot of people will carry a Bic lighter for creating fires and such, but they only carry one with them. And one is none. Two is one. Always carry an extra Bic lighter, preferably one in your pack, maybe one on your person, just in case there's a freak accident and you get separated from your pack, you'll at least have a Bic lighter on you. Big fan of that. I carry one in my pocket and one in my pack. I have an actual, uh, oh, the crap has hit the fan. I've got to build a fire kit in my pack. It's just my fire kit. What I mean by that is it's it's in a waterproof container. It's got a uh, another lighter in it that the lighter itself is in a waterproof Exotac holder that's inside the waterproof container. It's got you know it's got several different things on it, but I keep that that lighter in my pocket too, for the same reason Tracy just described, in case they get separated for some crazy reason. Crazy reason. The other thing is that I would point out here is that is that people will carry a ferro rod as a backup to their big lighter, mm-hmm. and I do, and I, yeah, I, I'm I do sure too. you do too. What we learned in that class was if you don't do some training with that ferro rod, creating a fire is a much harder thing to accomplish than you think, because you see all these YouTube videos, and they put it out there, and you know, two or three strikes, man, they got a fire going. And that just doesn't work exactly like that every single time that you're out there. No, man, it doesn't. You've got to practice and you got to practice with wet material and dry material and you got to practice in the cold and when you're hot and, you know, it's, yeah, you got to practice. And I think the other thing that we came away with from that class is you need to carry good quality tender with you. Which class are you talking about? The one that we did for the search and rescue. In the oh, border, okay. Yeah. Okay. The one, the one overnight. We did for, yeah. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. I think that was two issues that came out of there. One, creating a fire with your ferro rod isn't exactly as easy as you think it will be or would be. And then the the value of carrying good quality tender for just those types of occasions. You know, we had some really good people that are really well uh, established as woods people that struggled with that at that class. We'll be back after a quick break. Hey guys and gals, a quick break in our episode to talk about a game changer in outdoor cooking, the Fire Maple Backpacking and Camping Stove System. Whether you're hiking, fishing, or even prepping for emergencies, this portable pot and jet burner is a must-have in your gear. Best part? 
it's nearly half the price of a comparable Jetboil stove system. Thanks to its leading heat exchange technology, you'll experience reduced boiling times by up to 30% compared to traditional stoves, even in windy conditions. That means more time enjoying the outdoors and less time cooking. Are you ready to upgrade your outdoor cooking game? Click the link in the description now to grab yours. Trust me, your outdoor adventures will never be the same. And I think because it was so humid that day. It is. I know it is. I mean, we had, I taught a class, uh, a different class for Nature Reliance School, probably the month before that. And we always do fire building in class. And, you know, this is a class that was packed. I think there were 20, 20 to 25 people in this class. In the first hour, we didn't have anybody making fire in the summertime. It was not that, well, they came to class to learn, but they were so overconfident that everything was so dry, it was going to be easy to make fire. And I'm sitting there thinking, you all have no idea how much humidity plays into this. So I let them suffer. <laughs> you know, I let them suffer through, man, what's going on? I can't make it work, Craig. What's going on? So that they could, you know, it would stick in their heads the lesson there. It's, yeah. it's, it's tough, man. Just to be fully clear on this point is that the people in that particular class on the search rescue class that was struggling was the ones that was trying to make tinder from natural materials. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. All of us struggle. I mean, I struggled yesterday with fire. Uh, I'm been building some really big fires and I decided I was going to start them with, with uh, one of them with Pharaoh, one of them with bow drill. I could have, I could have lit them with a lighter. I was not in a survival situation, but I wanted to practice my skills I built a bow drill fire the day before in the, in kind of the misty rain. And then the next day with a fair rod, with everything dry, I had a tough time. It took me about 15 minutes. It took me longer with a fair rod than it did the, uh, the bow drill. Need to get out and practice. Need to make fires. That's for sure. Uh, next on the list, Craig is don't dry your gear from the previous night. That's the mistake. You should dry your gear from the previous night before you pack everything away. When you're sleeping at night, even in the wintertime, but especially with any type of heat, you're going to generate sweat. Moisture is going to be on your sleeping bag or your uh, quilts or anything else that you bring with you. The, one of the first things I do whenever I get out of my hammock is I pull my sleeping bag, turn it inside out, throw it over something and let it start air drying and um, getting ready for the, the next night. Hey, let me tell you another mistake I made. When I say you, you know this story. Uh, one year we were teaching an advanced survival class and we had all, it was a class where we had to have a fire or it, we were not going to make it. Well, I wouldn't say we wouldn't make it, but man, having a fire is going to make things a little bit more comfortable. And I had done exactly like Tracy just described. I had had a fire the night before, had put it out because we were leaving the area to go do some things with water procurement. And I had taken my bed pad out to dry it out and leaned it up against my tarp wind came up while we were gone blew my pad onto the fire and i mean this is pad was like only the first or second time that i'd ever used it and melted that puppy so the next night i didn't have any ground pad i had to create it from natural material if you're going to pull stuff out from a hammock and like laying on just make sure it's secured learn from my mistakes <laughs> i know tracy does this but uh you if you don't do that then learn from my mistakes it is critical that you go to bed with dry everything, mm -hmm. everything. Mm -hmm. So 
dry that gear out um, before you store it away and, and get ready for the next night. And even for the next night, whenever you get there, set up camp, pull that out, and let it air dry as much as you can before you jump into your either tent or hammock or whatever you're sleeping in. Hey, you. Yeah, you. I'm talking to you. You like this podcast, don't you? And you're thinking about doing a podcast yourself. Let me tell you how easy it is to do this with Anchor. First off, the money's right. It's free. Zero cost. Secondly, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. Bonus! You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Uh, Next one, Craig, is not staking your tent or hammock fly down properly. And yeah, here's what I would say. There's no 100% right way to stake all this stuff down. It's going to depend upon the weather uh, and your setup, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, one, one common thing that we like to share with people is you never want to run the line that's pulling the tension out of the tarp along the same line as the outer edge of the tarp itself. You want to run it 45 degrees so that it pulls tension on both lines of the tarp. Again, it would be it would be difficult to say, hey, do this every time you set a tarp up, because Tracy's right. But one thing I can say that is really good and advantageous is they make all kinds of cordage now that has reflective material in it. Or you can get tape that's reflective or at least brightly colored so that it makes it a little bit easier to see at night, too. That's one of the big things that people trip over, uh, tent stakes or tent uh, guy lines or what have you. And a good way of preventing that is having reflective material on them. Yeah, that's a good suggestion. You can even buy the paracord that is reflective at Lowe's. I picked something up the other day, strung it out in my backyard, and then took my flashlight and uh, ran across it. And, man, it works great. Reflects very, very well. I tell you what I got that didn't work very well along those lines is I had some glow-in-the-dark paracord that a company had sent me to review. That I've never seen worth, it. That did not work worth a crap. That was terrible. I can't imagine it be glowing that it could glow all night. It can't. And that's yeah. the issue is it just didn't last. I mean, it lasted less than an hour. Speaking of paracord, though, Titan Survival has got some stuff. It's got some reflective. They got all kinds of different stuff. They're one of our sponsors of the show, too. So... Look in the description below for a link for Titan Survival uh, because they've got all kinds of cool uh, survivor, what they call survivor cord, survivor cord, XT, all kinds of good stuff there. they got good quality gear. Mm-hmm. Very much. Hey, and just so you know, people that are new to us, if you haven't heard us before, the people that we use that we like, we go out and see if they offer sponsorships or discounts or stuff like that. That's how they make it to our show. It's not like somebody says, hey, will you uh, sell our stuff and... Even though you don't use it, no, we use this stuff. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of Titan Survival. I've got all kinds of their equipment. Did you have something else that maybe I'm missing on staking down tents and stuff? Um, No, I don't think so. I know a lot of times that if you do not have something solid enough for, like, your rain flies, that if the wind picks up, it'll pull the stake out of the ground and Mm -hmm. and, um, 
and then you'll be out in the middle of the night while it's raining trying to get everything staked back down. So paying specific attention to your rain flies when you're set up, make sure they're anchored good, will benefit you down the road for sure. Next on the list, Craig, is lazy food storage. Now, everyone probably automatically thought about bears, but there's other creatures out there that's going to be seeking out food as well. Coons and possums are the two that have gotten into my camps before. Dude, <laughs> I don't know what it is, man, but we've had some experience with with uh, raccoons at nature lot school classes. Two, two that jump out at me, and both of them were food-related, so I'm so glad Tracy put this in the notes. Is we were teaching a tactical survival class with Rodney Van Zant, Iron Sight Defense, and had a had a raccoon that got into some food and you know the it, tactical survival if you're not familiar is a bunch of dudes with rifles out in the woods that kind of thing and a bunch of dudes that probably don't have much experience in the outdoors <laughs> is that a good way of saying it some that, of them did that would be a did. good description and man this coon got after a guy and he got, ended up finally running up the tree but was hissing and doing its thing but the the other i don't know i guess i'm the storyteller today dude the other story that's well worth interesting, uh, well worth listening to is, were you at class that night? We had all the raccoons that got in the fruit. Do you remember that? I, no, I don't think so. So we had a class one time, you all, and one of the guys that came to class, I think he worked at a grocery store, and he had all this leftover fruit. I'm talking like a truckload of fruit. And he brought it and was just giving it to everybody. It was stuff that was going to be thrown away like two days, and they were getting rid of it anyway. We had a whole picnic table filled with with uh, plums. I mean, I'm talking boxes and boxes of plums. And I was sleeping right next to it. And I woke up in the middle of the night, two in the morning, with all this scurrying about. And there were probably 10 raccoons in those boxes of plums. Having a field day. Oh, my gosh, man. And it was one of those things I was like, hey, get out of here. And they were like, no. Nah. Nope. <laughs> no we're not going no, we, anywhere exactly man i was yeah. like i just turned my light off and went back to bed <laughs> oh man you you want to do something better than what we were doing with food that's for sure yeah that would be hard to uh, deal with that great a quantity though yeah it was something that it shouldn't happen the way it did yeah. but the the point being with particularly on possums and and skunks even is those those are nature's little garbage men. They they provide a very valuable service out in the middle of the wilderness. They basically they will eat, eat everything. Yep, and and it's very important. They they play a very vital role to the ecology. With that said, they'll come to that odor. It's really interesting how their nose works. I've watched possums do this a lot deer hunting, where they're coming through the woods, and I've watched them their nose up in the air until they get the scent of a uh, a gut pile on on deer and you can watch them get into the prevailing wind pattern and when they get that scent of the gut pattern they'll turn 90 degrees and start walking into the wind to find that gut pile it's really fascinating to me so uh, keep that in mind because you don't want those skunks and possums what might be um, confused by them as garbage smell or something of that nature and them come into your camp that's that's not cool you mentioned skunks. Have you ever had any issues with skunks? Because of all the times I've been outside, I've only had one encounter with a skunk. No, nah, man, I've got a bunch. Uh, and, but, I, but I will say this, that the, the majority of the issues that I've had with skunks have been in campgrounds. Yes, that's what I was getting ready to say. 
Mm-hmm. The only time that we had problem with a skunk was at a commercial campground. Yeah. Yep. And that was up at Cave Run is where that I was, was at Zippo. That was up at Cave Run, yeah. Yeah, we had a, I'll never forget the kids tell this story all the my kids tell this story all the time. We used to play board games at the at the campground and we were all sitting there one day and Zane looked down, he was a kid. And me it was Lily or Zane, I can't remember. One of them looked down and said, There is a skunk underneath the table. Oh gosh. Like walking around near and around our feet. Fortunately, they were so used to human interaction that it wasn't immediately alarmed such that it sprayed. But it was it was one of those. I mean, and it didn't spray. We ended up just backing out, and it was coming in the campground because that's where it got food every night. It was conditioned to come there. Yeah, that um, I'm surprised though that haven't ran into more skunks out there as as much as we've been out in the woods and such. So I'm glad I'm not because that odor absolutely just makes me sick. Yeah, here is a here is a good one, in my opinion, because I'm well, I'm not as allergic in my older age as it was whenever I was a kid, but going out, setting up camp and not knowing what poison ivy or similar in your area looks like. I've seen camps set up right on top, right in the middle of poison ivy patches because they just didn't know what poison ivy looked like. Now they may have not been fully, or they may have not been allergic to poison ivy. So it didn't really matter. I ran into several people in my lifetime that has no reaction, but most people truly don't know what poison ivy looks like. It's something to be aware of for sure. Uh, another story that illustrates this was my son's pretty allergic to poison ivy. We went turkey hunting, turkey hunting. If you haven't been, a lot of times you go out before dark and he sat down literally in a big pile of poison ivy in the dark, not realizing that he was sitting on it, but he didn't, he didn't sit his, you know, his skin. He didn't make skin contact with it but it was all over his turkey vest. And when he got his turkey vest out the next year it's still there. To, to go through, the poison ivy oil was still on that vest, and he got poison ivy from that. That stuff so, clings, clings for a long time, doesn't it? One of the good friends of Nature Reliance School, David Hunt, he is the husband of Tally Hunt that we've mentioned several times. He was one of the first people that said, hey, it's oil, Craig, it's oil. So you've got to treat it just like it's oil. If you get motor oil on your hands, what's it take to get off? It's pretty hard to get off, right? Yeah, it is. If you get it on your clothes, do you always get it out of your clothes? No, sometimes you don't get it all out. Poison ivy oil is oil. And so if you get it on your hands or you get it on your clothes, it's not something you're just going to be able to rinse in a creek and it's going to be off. You're going to have to scrub on it. And utilizing soap is going to be very advantageous to getting it off. We'll be back after a quick break. What's all around you, almost everywhere you look, and makes your life better? Birds. Learn all about these beautiful creatures in this wonderful new podcast called Birds of a Feather Talk Together. Two experts guide two newbies on their journey to learn more. Mallard ducks, ivory-billed woodpeckers, Hawaiian honeycreepers, blue jays, cardinals, sandhill cranes, and more. Each week we discuss a different bird and walk away with a better understanding of the birds all around us. Oh, and we have a ton of fun doing it. Listen now. You're going to like learning about these birds. I guarantee it. All right, next on the list, Craig, is taking blah meals. Now, I am not a spicy eater. My wife will uh, attest to that. But 
you know, so many times I've seen people out there that don't take any type of spices with them, even simple salt and pepper to give a little taste to their food. After the end of a long, hard day, you're sweaty, you're tired, and you're hungry. And having to eat bland food uh, is a downer. Being able mm-hmm. to pack a little bit of um, spices with you really makes a difference. Two reasons, statistically, that people go to the outdoors and don't have a good time are people don't eat good and people don't sleep good. If you're helping someone get started in spending time outdoors, then fix those two things and they're more likely to go back the next time. If you make those two things miserable or you expect people to, hey, I'll just love this because we're in the outdoors, then you may be disappointed and and you've lost an opportunity to, hey, that might be your girlfriend, boyfriend, and you and you like spending time outside and you wanna you want them to spend time outside with you, your kids or just somebody you're trying to help, you know, try to make sure that they have good food and Tracy's recommendation to season. We've gotten to where I take a little, a little, uh, backpackers kit. That's got slap your mama seasoning in it. It's got pink Himalayan salt in it and it's got some other spice. I can't even remember what it is, but I actually look around at our classes and see if somebody's trying to tough it out kind of thing and eat something that I know is going to be bland and it's going to suck. Then I'll offer them some, some of my stuff and and make their dinner a little bit better. Yeah, carrying a little container of spice is so easy, so light, you'll never even know that it's in your pack. But, man, it makes a big difference at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing on food, I would say, is go don't go out and buy food without testing it. So before you go out on that three- or four-day hike, go buy some food and eat it at your house because – the title of that package may not be exactly what you think it's going to taste like. I'm, I'm, I'm laughing. It's been an eventful year at Nature Reliance School. We had a, a gentleman that brought his two sons to class this year, and they all evidently really liked something. I can't remember what it was, but let's just say it's spaghetti. And so they were going to have a boys' trip out and do a survival class and all that stuff, and they were going to bring backpacker meals that were spaghetti for, for basically every meal because, you know, they love them, and they did not – they did not do what Tracy just suggested, which is get that backpacker meal and try it and make sure you like it because it might not be the spaghetti that mama makes at the house or dad makes at the house or whatever. And it wasn't. It sucked. They I can't even remember what brand they had, but it was terrible. And fortunately, also, I'm not trying to give too many hints away and you know, so you can rely upon me, but usually I bring some extra food <laughs> so that if somebody doesn't have food or it doesn't work out the way they want it to, they don't go hungry. And so, uh, yeah, they were able to eat something because the spaghetti, they, they couldn't stomach it. It was that bad. Take Tracy's recommendation to heart because it's important. Yeah, that'd be tough spaghetti for breakfast. I'm a, <laughs> Dude, I'm away, a spaghetti man. fan. So I'm going to tell a little bit on myself. So you don't listen to this, Craig, but the listeners can. <laughs> okay. uh, Craig does bring some food and he brings some really good food. And sometimes I may not pack enough food on purpose. <laughs> uh, yeah. Me and Tracy eat good when we, we teach class, good. man. <laughs> we, I, <laughs> a lot of things will happen, but us not eating well is not going to be one of them. I usually spend the day before class uh, hitting Tracy up on text going, hey, man, you want this this weekend? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, we kind of go, we kind of teach class, but we mainly go to eat. <laughs> Oh, yeah, the good, good, good food for sure. 
Um, last on the list, we're, what time is it? We're about 39 minutes, so let's do this as the last one. Protect your gear. And I put down three examples here. One, and I've seen this happen before, and I may have broken a knife before in my life as well. Don't use your knife as a pry bar. If you have that tip on it and you need to pry something, you will snap that tip off in a heartbeat. Yep. Don't cut your cordage into small sections that you need. Learn some knots. Learn how to use uh, extended lengths of cordage and not have to cut it. That is a life lesson even beyond hiking. Mm -hmm. And the third one I wrote down here is, and you kind of stole the thunder whenever you said your gear flopped over into the fire. Don't don't let your (laughs) gear fall into the fire. That was one instance that I was thinking of is whenever your pad fell off into the wasn't a fire it was actually the uh, bed of coals there Mm -hmm. but the other one is people will take their shoes to dry them out and they'll put them up close to the fire and the fire is at a certain height or puts off a certain amount of heat and then that then they put more wood on it and it gets higher and they don't move their shoes back i've seen people burn their shoes i've seen people burn their socks um you got to be careful you got to protect that gear (laughs) I don't yeah, know I'm waiting on you. I don't <laughs> Tracy's setting me up on this one. The, the, sock, the sock comment was all directed at me for sure. It was. <laughs> because I, man, that was a good class, though. That was a good class yes. we had. That was up in the Daniel Boone National Forest. They, uh, we had a class, and I, I took one pair of socks and just burnt them completely into nothingness. And one time when I was a kid, I did a trip with my dad and my uncle and my cousin, and I was wearing little blue knockoff Chuck Taylor shoes. Never forget those shoes, man. I was so, it was so cool, man. I thought I was so cool with my Chuck Taylors and cooked them things, man. I set them next to the fire. They were wet because we'd been walking through the creeks and set them next to the fire and got up the next morning. And the only thing there was the remnants of the eyelets where the shoestrings were and the rubber soles. They had, I guess it got so hot and just melted everything in the in the middle of the night. That's pretty cool. I've that melted um, bottom of shoes before. Oh um, man! You know, just disfigure them and stuff. So, and it's easy to do. You set them mm-hmm. up there and you start talking, laughing, enjoying the night, and and that's it. Yeah. And then you got another day or two of hiking with disformed shoes. <laughs> mm. Well, I think that does it for this episode, and this closes out our three-part series on mistakes. And let me emphasize again, these are mistakes that uh, I've made, Craig has made, and pretty much everyone has made. So if you're new to it, learn from us and uh, go forward with it, and you'll be better off for it. But uh, Craig, if you don't have anything, go ahead and close this out if you want. Yeah, I'd like to emphasize you've heard you've heard you've heard me and Tracy talking about these things and laughing with one another. Go out, do the things where you're not tempting your fate or your life, but make your own mistakes too. Learn from ours, but just go out and do stuff. I mean, you can hear Tracy and I have had a good time laughing at some of our own mistakes, and sometimes that's important too. So learn from our mistakes, but then just get out there and do your own thing and do as best you can. Just don't take the unnecessary risk where somebody's going to be injured for life or injured in such a way that they can't get healed or die or something like that. That's craziness right there. But uh, that way you can get out and enjoy yourself and, and learn from your own mistakes as well. And when you do that, 
in the comments, wherever you're seeing this podcast, whether you're seeing it on social media or whether you've come straight through a podcast player, then send us a message. You can send that to info at naturereliance.org. If you have no other source to get in contact with us, then just shoot it to us there. And we'll probably do another podcast on these topics down the road and share some of the other things that you all have done. So I think that is it, you guys, because at Nature Reliance School, we try to come on, join in, let's learn together. That wraps up another fantastic episode of the Nature Reliance Podcast. I hope today's journey has inspired you to explore and connect with the natural world in new and exciting ways. Before I say goodbye, remember to check out the Nature Reliance School online membership. If today's episode sparked your interest in wilderness skills and outdoor adventures, this online community is the perfect place for you to start or continue your journey. You can currently sign up for a year for only $99 and get two months for free. Click the link below to discover a world of expert-led courses, engaging content, and a vibrant community eager to share their knowledge and experiences. Whether you're starting your outdoor journey or looking to deepen your existing skills, the Nature Reliance School online membership is here to guide you. Thank you for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe for more adventures and share this podcast with your fellow nature enthusiasts. Until next time, come on, join in. Let's learn together.